Welcome to the Thriller Fiction Podcast, your source for gripping and twisty stories in a serialized format. And now, here's your host, Jim Heskett. And we're back. Didn't think we were coming back, did ya? And when I say we, of course, I mean the royal we because it's just me. I'm just one guy doing all this. Uh, trying to make it seem like it's a big professional operation, but of course you know it's not. It's just me. I'm just a guy in Colorado in his basement recording a podcast, oh, and also uh, a guy who's written some books, so it's not like I'm a, a, a plumber. Not that there's anything wrong with being a plumber, but okay, I'm going to stop now because I'm just digging myself into a grave here. This is the Museum Attack Season two of the thriller attack, uh, thriller fiction podcast. I'm not even sure what podcast I'm on. It's a thriller fiction podcast. Yes, I'm I'm 100 positive of that. And we're reading Museum Attack, which is Lane Parish prequel, book zero, if you will, in the Lane Parish series, uh, to be followed by the novel Shadow Soldiers, which you can pick up on Amazon. And um, if you want to get a copy of that, just go to jimheska.com forward slash shadow soldiers, and that'll take you right to it if you haven't already purchased a copy. And as always, we recommend you go to jimheska.com forward slash free to get three free books, including this one that we're reading here. Also, go to jimheska.com forward slash contest, and so you can enter to win some free stuff for free. You can enter for free, and if you win the free stuff, then the stuff is given to you for free. It's free to enter and free to win. The stuff that you get is not free, meaning there is value attached to the stuff. It's not like you get a high five from me if you win. Although if you're, you know, nearby and I see you at a coffee shop and you be like, "Hey, I won," then I definitely I would give you a high five in that instance. I kind of feel like, you know, I'd be obligated to, and that's that would be I think that would be an all right boundary for me to cross to give you a high five if you actually won. So, you know, keep that in mind. Anyway, that's all I'm going to ramble on now. We're going to go ahead and read chapter 17 in Museum Attack. Uh, There's only three chapters left in the story, and we're reading one at a time from here on out. But these should be coming out every couple days between now and the end, so you won't have to wait too long to find out how the story ends. All right, here we go. Lane had no time to run away from the grenade. He was next to a door and muscle memory took over. He planted his feet and dove for it, reaching out to press the bar to open it. As his upper half entered the stairwell, the grenade exploded. The force of the blast drove him forward. He tumbled to the floor, scraping his face along the concrete, breathless, flipping a ball like rolling down a hill. Had he lost his legs? Had he pulled them through the door in time? He twisted onto his back and craned his neck downward. He had to blink a few times to see in this darkened stairwell. Both legs present and accounted for. He didn't feel the slicing pain of shrapnel anywhere on his body. He'd survived, but the men were still there. Any second now they would be on him. What had marketing intern Sarah been doing there? Where had she come from? He stood weary and aching. His eyes wanted to shut, but he couldn't do that yet. He popped fresh magazines into both Berettas and held them out. Then he kicked open the door. He found smoke on the other side. He staggered into the smoke, chest burning, eyes red and scratchy. He barely thought he could manage to pull a trigger, let alone take on what was left of this army. He lurched along the hallway, guns raised. The only thing left on his mind was shooting anyone and everyone he could. 
doing whatever possible to stop these people. As he wandered in the midst of the smoking chaos, he didn't hear any of the men who'd been pursuing him. Had they gone? As he neared the lobby, the elevator doors dinged. In a flash, he backpedaled, hiding behind the nearest doorframe. He leaned around the edge to see two men dragging Jasmine from the elevator. She was kicking and screaming, fighting them. Lane's jaw dropped. She was on deck. The next person to destroy a piece of art and then take a bullet in the back of the head. For a moment, they stood there, eyeing the smoke. Then, one of them barked a surprised gasp. They were standing only a few feet from the collection of corpses Lane had created after leaping in from the elevator shaft. Sir, one of them said into his walkie-talkie. Lane couldn't hear the scratchy reply. There's a situation on four. Multiple men down. Also, we heard something in the elevator on the way up here. Looks like there's been an explosion. He paused, listening to a reply too garbled for Lane to make out. Understood, sir. We'll proceed as planned. They pushed forward, wrenching Jasmine along with them, struggling to break free. Lane wanted to rush out and snipe them from the side, but he couldn't. They wouldn't do to Jasmine what they'd done to the other hostage from before, last time Lane had tried the impulsive rescue mission. So, he waited until they had cleared the lobby and then he left his hiding spot. Guns raised, he sneaked over until he was directly behind them. They marched her forward into the art room. They paused at the edge of the room, staring at the body of their comrade who Lane had killed not three minutes ago. Blood was still seeping out of his corpse. One of them let go of Jasmine and took a few steps toward the dead body on the floor. Lane closed one eye and pulled the trigger. The invader on the right took a bullet to the back of the head and sunk to the floor immediately. The other one tried to turn and Lane could see his intent to put Jasmine between himself and Lane, but he didn't let that happen. Lane shot him in the arm, then added two more bullets to his chest. The invader staggered back and Lane fired one more time a bullet into the man's right eye. He fell backward, knocking over a framed canvas print of a sunset looming over a barbed wire fence. Jasmine, her mouth curled open in horror, stared at the dead bodies on the floor. She vibrated like a bomb about to explode. Then her weary eyes drifted up to Lane and her shoulders slumped. Her eyelids fluttered like she would faint, still frozen in place but now wobbling, her knees about to buckle underneath her. Lane rushed to her and grabbed her before she could topple to the floor. He held her upright and wrapped his arms around her to support her weight. You're here, she said, croaking out a whisper. I'm here. You're okay. He pulled back to make eye contact and she nodded a fraction of an inch. Is that, is that blood on your face? She reached out and touched his cheek. He hadn't even realized it, but he could now feel the wetness. She pulled her hand back, examining the red spot on her finger pad. We have to go now, he said. Where? Where are we supposed to go? They've got the building completely sealed off. I know, he said. I have a plan. She eyed him. Maybe she knew he was fibbing about having a plan, but it didn't matter. On the edge of going into shock, she needed to hear something. He needed to say something. Needed to believe he could come up with a plan when the time came. Okay, she said. We'll go. He aided her over to the elevator and they shuffled inside it. The listed buttons on the panel ranged from 7 to 1 and then B, but when he pressed the B button, nothing happened. It didn't light up. He studied a bank of controls to the right of the buttons, a series of locks to override the elevator. When he found one labeled Maintenance Override, he removed the bobby pin pieces from his pocket and jabbed them inside it. He fiddled with it for 15 seconds to make it turn, then he pressed the B button. This time, it did light up. They rode the elevator down to the basement, both of them breathing heavily. 
Jasmine wavered on the edge of consciousness. In the basement, Lane escorted Jasmine off the elevator and into the kitchen. He removed a steak knife from the magnetic strip on the wall, then he handed it to her. He pointed to a space underneath the food prep table. She shook her head. I want to stay with you. You can't, he said. I have to go deal with this, and I can't keep you safe anywhere up there. She winced, tears dotting the corners of her eyes. I don't want you to leave me. What if they come down here? He took her face in his hands, leaning close enough so his eyes were within a few inches of hers. I am going to come back for you, I promise. If anyone comes down here, hide. The cops will have yellow or white lettering across their chests, big and obvious. Anyone else, you don't show your face. If you have to, there is a garbage bin in the next room you can hide in. She stood, clutching the knife, chest heaving. He wasn't sure if she'd ingested everything he'd said or not. I'll come for you, he said as he backpedaled away from her. I am going to come back for you when this is done. All right, that's chapter 17 of Museum Attack, and uh, we're done with that. We're done for the day. Wa-bam, done for the day. Cha-ching, I'm going to go cash my big fat podcasting check. <laughs> just kidding. You know, there's I'm not getting paid for this. You know there's no sponsors to this show or anything. This is just me. I'm just doing this to connect with you guys and hopefully get you to come, um, you know, check out my website and maybe check out some books. That's all I ask, you know, I'm giving you all this stuff for free, and, you know, you could do a little something for me, you know, if it's not too big a deal. I don't know, I'm just, I'm rambling now. Anyway, thanks a lot for tuning in, and I hope you have a great day, and uh, I hope you go out and carpe that DM as best you can. Take care. That's it for this episode of the Thriller Fiction Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and visit jimheskett.com for more info and free thriller books.